Facts on movies. I used to float, now I just fall down. I used to know, but I'm not sure now what I was made for. The Big 550 KTRS, thanks for tuning in to Max on Movies. I am your host, Max Foise. You can go to KTRS dot com slash max on movies to hear more of the show and on today's hour of max on movies we are going to have some movie reviews of course but we're going to kick it off with a recap of the 2024 academy award nominations just going to kind of recap what to expect on the show that's coming up in a couple of months here we are i think it's the 96th year i believe for the academy awards the longest running Awards ceremony that uh, spotlights the best performances and technical achievements in cinema. I'm not a big fan of award shows in general. The whole idea of pitting art against what uh, other art is weird. But humans love to award prizes. They love to rank things. And uh, and I do like the Academy Awards, not only for its long history, but it's an awards body that does affect movies that will eventually become made. If you win an Oscar, you have more clout. You can get those passion projects made. And so it has affected the course of film history. And, of course, you have those outliers, those strange winners and that go on to nothing. That's always kind of interesting as well. And as we'll recap when we go over these awards nominations, it's not necessarily about the quality of the film itself. Sometimes when you have something technical like editing, it can be simply about that or special effects or, or what have you. Everyone likes to talk about Oscar snubs as well, but you know, some of my favorite films of last year got zero nominations this year, and that's okay. They're still some of my favorite films. Uh, I, I'm talking about things like Saltburn and Dream Scenario. As a matter of fact, if you want to see my top 10 list of my personal favorite films from last year, you can go to zekefilm.org. That's right, it's zekefilm.org. So now let's talk about the nominations for the Academy Awards. In the category of makeup and hairstyling, we have Golda, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and Society of the Snow. I think Golda is the film that is mostly a head-scratcher for most people who haven't heard of it, and they thought, well, why didn't that go to Barbie? Well, Barbie was ineligible for makeup and hairstyling. Honestly, I'm not sure why. That's a weird Academy Rules thing. Maybe because it was based on a doll? I, I don't really know. Uh, Society of the Snow, great to see J.A. Boyana's film uh, nominated here. I think that Poor Things will probably take this one. In production design, you've got Poor Things, Oppenheimer, Napoleon, Killers of the Flower Moon, and Barbie. I don't think Barbie loses this one. The production design looked just like the dream house that we all remember from our childhood. So I think that one wins production design. For best sound, The Zone of Interest, Oppenheimer, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which is the first nomination for a Mission Impossible film, Maestro, and The Creator. You know, I was talking earlier about films being nominated not because they're great films, if it's a technical thing, maybe because just that element of it was really good. And I agree with a film that was one of my most hated from last year called The Creator. Didn't like that film at all, but yeah, the sound is really good in it. So it got nominated for Best Sound. For film editing, we've got Poor Things, Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, The Holdovers, and Anatomy of a Fall. We'll be hearing more about a lot of these films as the nominations go on. Now, I know Killers of the Flower Moon was almost four hours, so people can say, how could it be nominated for film editing? But film editing is not only about length, it's about composition. 
And, uh, of course, the editor of all of Scorsese's pictures is one of the best to ever do it. But I'm, I'm kind of pulling for the holdovers here. It really is put together like a 1970s film that you would have come across on cable, and I like that a lot. For documentary short film, you've got the ABCs of book banning, The Barber of Little Rock, Island in Between, The Last Repair Shop, and Nai Nai and Y Po. It's tough to predict these shorts categories, but the one that I've heard the most buzz about would be The Last Repair Shop. For live action short film, you've got The After, Invincible, Night of Fortune, Red, White, and Blue, and The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. Now, this one is a little easier to predict, and I think The Wonderful World of Henry Sugar will win because it's based on a story by Roald Dahl, and it's directed by Wes Anderson. If this wins, it'll be the first Oscar that Wes Anderson wins. For animated short film, you've got Letter to a Pig, 95 Senses, Our Uniform, Pachyderm, and War is Over, inspired by the music of John and Yoko. I'd be surprised if John and Yoko didn't win that. For costume design, you've got Poor Things, Oppenheimer, Napoleon, Killers of the Flower Moon, and Barbie. Once again, I think Barbie takes this because it was based on all these dolls. that People know people know those dolls, and they did a great job recreating those iconic costumes, like the black and white bathing suit that Barbie wears. For cinematography, El Conde, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. I think Oppenheimer takes that. For documentary feature film, 20 Days in Maripol, Bobby Wine, The People's President, The Eternal Memory, Four Daughters, and To Kill a Tiger. I think 20 Days takes that one. For original song, you've got The Fire Inside from Flame and Hot. I can't believe that Flame and Hot, which might not even be based on a true story, is nominated for an Oscar. But the movie isn't. It's just the song, which was, of course, a Diane Warren song, and she has to be nominated every year, even though I... I don't see a lot of talent there, but I guess good for her. You've also got a song from my people from Killers of the Flower Moon. It never went away from American Symphony and two from Barbie. What was I made for, which I bumped in with from Billie Eilish. And I'm just Ken, which is great to see that nominated, not only because Ryan Gosling was hilarious, but because Greta Gerwig had to fight for that song in the movie. Studio kind of wanted to cut it out. They said, you know, the movie is long. It's not really a musical. Let's take this out. And she said, no, this is it's such a great thing. We have to leave it in. And now it's Oscar nominated. I don't know what will win this. I kind of think it'll be Billie Eilish, which good for her. For original score, a surprise. And I think our first real snub, Daniel Pemberton, who's been a guest here on Maxon Movies, one of my favorite film score composers. He was not nominated for his extraordinary work for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And I think that it really is a, a gigantic snub. But for score, you've got American Fiction, which is very good. Killers of the Flower Moon, the last score from Robbie Robertson. May he rest in peace. Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and Indiana Jones in the Dial of Destiny. Very happy to see John Williams nominated for this, not just because at 91 it makes him the oldest nominee ever, but because it really is a great score. When I was watching the film, I thought, man, he... John Williams really went hard on this. Like, he didn't have to. It's it's really very good. So I wouldn't be surprised if he wins that one. For visual effects, you've got Napoleon, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which, even though I didn't like the movie, the effects were very good in that film. The Creator, which I didn't like that movie either, but yeah, the effects are good. And this one made my son, Oscar, very happy on Oscar nomination day. The first nomination for a Japanese film for special effects for a Toho film ever for Godzilla Minus One. 
I don't know if it'll win, but what a wonderful thing for that team who worked very hard on this movie, and it really is incredible. If Godzilla doesn't work, that movie doesn't work. And that movie really was one of my favorites from last year. Godzilla Minus One gets that nomination for visual effects. For original screenplay, you've got Past Lives, great screenplay by Celine Song. May, December, I believe this might be the only nomination for May, December, which was one of my favorite films from last year. And I'm very happy that Sammy Birch got a nomination because she did extraordinary work. Maestro, The Holdovers, and Anatomy of a Fall, which might actually be the best original screenplay of last year. For adapted screenplay, you've got The Zone of Interest, Poor Things, Oppenheimer, American Fiction, which would be my choice to win, and Barbie. Yes, the Academy has put Barbie in adapted screenplay because even though the movie is an original work, it of course relies on this institutional knowledge we all have of the Barbie doll and Ken and all of that. Those jokes or the scenarios, they don't work without that. So that's why they put that in adapted screenplay. Good for Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach for getting that nomination. For animated feature film, somewhat surprisingly, you've got Elemental from Pixar, a movie that was not very well received, but there you go, Oscar nomination. You've also got Robot Dreams, which was a clever little film, The Boy and the Heron, the latest from Studio Ghibli, and man, one of my favorite films from last year, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, also an incredible film, and lovingly, and I love this nomination, Nimona. Not only a wonderful animated film, it was something that was dumped by Disney, the, uh, the studio that was doing it, Blue Sky, they went out of, out of business, and yet it was finished and released on Netflix. One of my favorites. I, I love this movie. Indy Stevenson is such a wonderful creator, and I'm happy to see Nimona nominated. Chloe Grace Moretz does some of my favorite voice work in that film. For international feature film, you've got The Zone of Interest, The Teacher's Lounge, Society of the Snow, Perfect Days, and El Capitano. You might be thinking, well, where's Anatomy of a Fall? France didn't select it. That's how these rules go. For an international feature film, every country has to say, okay, we're going to put this movie up. It's weird, and it kind of seems kind of outdated, especially with more foreign films getting nominated for Best Picture over here uh, with, with the Academy. I think after Parasite, which was a South Korean film, after that one Best Picture, maybe we need to retire international feature film. But for now, those are your nominations. I think The Zone of Interest will take that. For Best Director, speaking of Zone of Interest, you've got Jonathan Glazer. You've also got uh, Yorgos Lathamos for Poor Things, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. I think that's his first nomination, if you can believe that. Martin Scorsese, Killers of the Flower Moon, and Justine Triette for Anatomy of a Fall. Boy, I think Nolan is going to take this, but I would love to see Justine take it for Anatomy of a Fall. Another gigantic snub, no Greta Gerwig for Director. But don't feel too bad for her. She was not only nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, but also for Picture. We'll get to that. She was a producer as well on that. And all three of her directorial efforts, Little Women, Lady Bird, and Barbie, all nominated for Best Picture. I don't know if another filmmaker has done that. That's extraordinary that all of her work has been nominated for Best Picture. Good for her. For Best Supporting Actor, you've got Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things. Very happy to see that nomination. He's playing a 1930s cad, and he's great. Ryan Gosling for Barbie. Hmm. Well, more on that in a minute. I am happy that he's nominated. He's very he's a comedic actor. He's great. I just say hmm because, skipping ahead, uh, Margot is not nominated. And I think it's kind of hilarious that in a movie about 
a man discovering the power of patriarchy in the real world that actually played out in the real world with Margot not being nominated and Ken being nominated for Barbie. Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer, Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon. Very happy to see that. One of De Niro's strongest performances in years. And Local Boy Made Good, St. Louis's own Sterling K. Brown was nominated for American Fiction. We nominated him for our local St. Louis Critics Group, and he's wonderful. I think that Downey Jr. will take that for Oppenheimer, and he'll probably make some Marvel jokes when he's on stage. For Best Actor, Bradley Cooper for Maestro. I kind of feel like he's going to be upset that he wasn't nominated for Director, but he was for Actor. Coleman Domingo for Rustin, wonderful performance. Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. I think he takes this one. Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. Happy to see him in there. And for his first nomination, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers. I would love it if he won. I don't think he's going to, but uh, but he's very good in that film. For Best Supporting Actress, Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. I think she takes it. She's been taking a lot of critics groups, including St. Louis. Jodie Foster for Niad. Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple, the only nomination for The Color Purple. Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, that's her first nomination. And the, one of the biggest surprises, America Ferrara for Barbie. She got in because of her speech in that movie, and that speech was labeled the best scene of the year. It was awarded best scene of the year from the St. Louis Film Critics. Uh, very happy to see that. And now a member of the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants has been nominated for an acting award. I think that's incredible. For Best Actress, Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, Sandra Huller for Anatomy of a Fall. I would love if she won. It's a great performance. Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, who becomes the first Native American nominated for an acting award. Annette Benning for Nyad, which tells the audience, you should watch Nyad, because Annette Benning and Jodie Foster are both very good in it. And Emma Stone for Poor Things. I didn't like Poor Things. I don't think that Emma Stone is necessarily remarkable in it. I think she's done much better work, including La La Land and Crazy Stupid Love and even Easy A. I think another snub here is not having Natalie Portman for May-December, especially with the monologue that she gives at the end. I think that maybe the acting branch was a little upset that that movie was kind of mocking the acting process, but it's a wonderful performance, and I wish she would have gotten in. And that brings us to Best Picture. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There are ten nominations uh, this year, and here they are. We've got The Zone of Interest, Poor Things, Past Lives, one of my favorites from last year. Very happy to see it here. Oppenheimer, Maestro, Killers of the Flower Moon, The Holdovers, Anatomy of a Fall. Very happy to see that there. American Fiction. <laughs> I hope that people watch that film. It's great. And Barbie. Yes, nominated for Best Picture. What do I think takes it? I think Oppenheimer takes it, but I think we have a lot of really great movies here on the Best Picture list. Overall, a great year for nominations. There are very few that I disagree with, very few snubs. I've already pointed out the snubs, and I think it's going to be a really fun telecast when that happens, which is uh, going to come up later on this year. And We'll see how right I was on my picks because I gave you my picks as we went on. So on today's show, we've got a review of ISS starring Academy Award winner Ariana DeBose. We have a review of Role Play starring Academy Award nominee David Oyelio. And we have a review of American Fiction, which, of course, stars 
Academy Award nominee Jeffrey Wright, and it's also the Best Picture nominee uh, for this year. So we'll have reviews of all of that as Max on Movies continues. Thanks for tuning in. You can go to KTRS.com slash Max on Movies to hear more. on movies listening to the wind of change August summer night soldiers passing by listening to the wind of change the Big 550 KTRS thank you so much for tuning in to Max on Movies I am your host Max Foise you can find the show at KTRS.com slash MaxOnMovies, and we are here to talk about a song called A Song. Listen to me. That's because I'm bumping in with Wind of Change by The Scorpions, which is a song not only in the trailer for the film that I'm about to review, but in a pivotal scene as well. The movie is called ISS, which of course stands for International Space Station. And this is a new film from Gabriella Copperweight, who directed Blackfish, the controversial documentary about... SeaWorld. I say controversial because a lot of people watched the film and made up their minds about how awful SeaWorld was. And then you kind of fact check it and you realize, well, maybe the documentary wasn't the most factual thing in the world. But I digress. Her new film is called ISS, which is not a documentary. It is a science fiction thriller. And it stars Chris Messina, John Gallagher Jr., Maria Mashkova, Costa Royan, and Pilo Abasek, I love Pilo Abasek. He has done some great work in the last couple of years. Our lead is Ariana DeBose, who won Best Supporting Actress for her role in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. She was also the lead voice in Wish for Disney. And the premise here is a really intriguing one. It's one of the reasons why I was excited to see it. The whole movie is set on the International Space Station. We are never on Earth at any moment in this film. We are always on the ISS with these crewmates. And you have a couple of Russians. You have a couple of Americans. You have three Russians and three Americans. Four men and two women. And it's evenly divided. <laughs> uh, and uh, and everyone is there for a different reason on the ISS. You know, a lot of medical research and space research and things like that. But then war erupts on the planet Earth, and they each get messages from their governments saying, take control of the space station. It's revealed in the film that they're, they're working on some sort of uh, cure for perhaps a biological weapon, and so this might be important on the planet Earth. Who gets this cure, whether it would be the Russians or the Americans, and that's why they want uh, to, you know, one faction to take over the other. It's an interesting premise because you think, well, what would happen if this actually happened? I mean, God forbid America and Russia actually go to war. As a child of the 80s, the Cold War was still raging strong, and uh, it's been difficult for me to get over my mistrust of the Russians because of all the American propaganda that was going on. But, of course, you know, I, I, seeing the Berlin Wall fall and, and Glasnost and all of that has been a wonderful thing that we've been able to work together with that country on the International Space Station. So – in this movie, you have some distrust right away between these two factions because of the age of the people and growing up uh, even post-Cold War. 
We've never really been able to maintain anything like an actual friendship with the former Soviet Union, even though we do work together with them on the ISS, which is a wonderful project. The audience follows Ariana DeBose as Dr. Kira Foster. We follow her because she's a brand new astronaut. Her background is not being an astronaut, it's being a scientist. She brings some mice with her. She's trying to figure some stuff out. And her crewmates are Chris Messina as Gordon Barrett and John Gallagher Jr. as Christian. He's also done some good work. I know my colleague Lynn Vanhouse is a big fan of his. He was in Underwater with uh, Kristen Stewart. And on the Russian side, you've got uh, Kosta Renin as Nikolai, Maria Mashkova as Veronica, who does a really good job in this movie, and, of course, the great Pilo Avasek as Alexei Pulov. He probably has the best role, the most nuanced role in the movie, the best written role uh, in the film. If you don't know him by name, you might have still seen him in, uh, in a movie. He was in Lucy, the Luc Besson film with Scarlett Johansson. He was also he had a standout role in Ghost in the Shell, also opposite Scarlett Johansson. He was in Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. And in the Danish dub of the Super Mario Brothers movie, guess what? He was Mario. <laughs> as great as this premise for ISS is, you know, everybody's kind of getting together. Uh, they're learning about each other's countries. There might even be some romantic entanglements on this ISS, as I'm sure that that happens in real life as well. You're in a stressful uh, location, sequestered with people very far away from your home because you're not even on the planet Earth. But then they notice war breaking out. You can actually see it from space, these explosions. And then they get the messages first in secret, you know, from their governments. Like, what what are we going to do? It's a really intriguing premise. However, the movie, after all of this setup, and that's where the the wind of change comes in because some of the Americans are making fun of the Scorpion song. Like, oh, that song is so cringe. And the Russians are like, you know, this is an important song for us because of what it signifies. I thought it was a really good scene. Uh, but when they when war breaks out is actually when the movie falls apart, and that's because your screenwriter here, Nick Shafir, he has a great idea for a movie, and I don't think he knows what to do with it. Uh, because yes, war breaks out, but these scientists, these these uh, men and women of science, they turn very quickly. Uh, they turn murderous and uh, very very quickly and very uh, patriotic. And I guess you could say that ISS might be making a case against. Blind patriotism. I think if that's the case, it was done much better in a film from last year called Godzilla Minus One. In this one, you know, the Americans are expected to just kill for America and the Russians are expected to kill for Russia and turn against their colleagues. I guess I would have an easier time understanding that if this was set on a military base or some sort of co-op between Americans and Russians or maybe like or Russians or maybe on a on a border uh, issue. But these are scientists. These are people who work with with mice. I, I doubt that they're going to follow orders. I feel like they'd be like, well, no, let's just go back to planet Earth. And I, I get it. They're going into a war zone that they might have uh, a an antidote for things that might be important to their government. And that if they land on Earth, I guess they would be arrested right away, depending on where they land. But none of that has really gotten into because it turns into a slasher picture where uh, the Americans are running from the Russians and the Russians, I guess, are running for the Americans, but the Americans don't seem as murderous. I, I didn't like how lopsided that was in the film. I have to give a negative review to this movie called ISS. 
Uh, it's an intriguing premise, as I'll say again, but I really don't think they do anything with it. I don't know what I was expecting. Maybe some twists, some turns. I don't mind that we never go to Earth. I don't mind that we don't really know what's going on, but nobody questions it. And yes, you can see the explosions from the planet, but just because you get a note saying, hey, turn against your best friend, are you going to do that? Are you just going to follow that? I feel like we don't even know what's happening on Earth. We don't know if these messages are legit. Let's go to the planet and find out what's happening. But I don't know. Uh, now, Ariana DeBose, I like her a lot. I like her in everything that I've seen her in. But unfortunately, she is stoic to a fault as Dr. Kira Foster. There's no real nuance to her character. And I wonder if that is a problem with the editing, that perhaps they, in order to make the film 90 minutes, they edited around her performance because she just kind of looks disapprovingly at everybody else. And that's about it. And she's our lead just because she's our lead. And I think it's too bad that they they possibly cut out more of her story or at least more of her thoughts on what's going on. You know, her mice die right away. And she's like, oh, my mice are dead. I, there's just not a lot there. And I know that she's a capable actress, so I'm not going to blame her for this. But the role is kind of a go nowhere role. So I can't say that I liked ISS. I can't say that the cast does anything remarkable outside of maybe Pilo Ivasek. I don't like Gabriella Copperweight's movies. I didn't like this one. Uh, searching for something positive to say about ISS, it is a small film distributed by Bleecker Street, and yet the special effects are extraordinary. It's wonderful that we can have a small-budget film look this good as far as all of the special effects. I, it, it, all, it doesn't look like a low-budget film. It looks as good as something we would have seen in Gravity or something like Stowaway. Nick Remy Matthews cinematography does a great job lighting the International Space Station. And you always know where everybody is. It has a good use of geography in the movie as far as knowing where all the characters are in the space station at any given time, which helps ramp up the tension. But this is overall a failure, a good premise with nothing to show for it. The movie is called ISS. You sent do you read War has broken out below, and we were told to take the ISS by any means necessary. If we got orders from our government to take control, and they just struck first. Struck first. I am Max Foise. The show is Max on Movies. This is the Big 550 KTRS. Remember to go to ktrs.com slash Movies to hear more. KTRS.com slash Maxon Movies is where you can find the movie show. Interviews, movie reviews, lots of talk about movies. KTRS.com slash Maxon Movies, and it's free. And I believe it's a podcast on iTunes that you can get. I think if you just search KTRS, it comes up there. I don't know. I'm old. I don't know how any of that works. But I know it's free. KTRS.com slash Movies. My name is Max Foise. The show is Max on Movies. The station is KTRS.
Here to talk about a new film now streaming on Amazon Prime. It's called Role Play. This one is directed by Thomas Vincent. I was not familiar with Thomas Vincent, and that's because he's done things that I've never seen before. Carnival, The Hook, Mr. Bob, and The New Life of Paul Snyder. Never seen any of those movies. But I have watched Role Play, and now I'm here to review it for you. The film stars David Oyelio, who is a wonderful dramatic actor, uh, probably best known for playing Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma. But he gets to play something lighter and airier and more uh, approachable here. Uh, just a regular guy who loves his wife, played by Kaylee Cuoco, who, of course, you know from The Big Bang Theory and Eat Simple Rules to Date My Teenage Daughter and The Flight Attendant, a lot of television. And now here she is still on TV in a made-for-TV movie. I think that's kind of how I think about these Amazon Prime movies. Not really something fit for the theater, but fine for a, a movie of the week. You also have Connie Nielsen as your big bad and... Delightfully, Bill Nighy as uh, as a hitman. He's only in about two scenes, but my lord, is he the highlight of this film? He's the highlight of this film because, well, the film is not very good at all. I severely disliked this movie. Boy, I wanted to like it. I wanted to have fun with it, but no thank you. Now, the premise is something we've seen before, and that's fine. I don't mind uh, the same kind of premise as long as it's done kind of fun and executed well. But this one isn't. This one forgets to have fun. And with Kaylee Cuoco as your lead, I think that's what you're expecting. You're expecting something kind of fun and lighthearted, and it certainly begins that way. David Oyelio has no idea that his wife, Kaylee Cuoco, is a hitman. That's right. She is an assassin for hire. People give her money. She goes and murders them. He thinks that she goes out on business trips uh, to try to tell companies how to go vegan and how to introduce vegetarian meals. And so she has to fly everywhere, and he just accepts this. They've been married for seven years. They have a couple of kids. And, boy, did they involve the kids in, with this, too? The kids get kidnapped. Because what happens is she wants to leave the assassin life behind, but the assassin guild called the Sovereign, they don't want to leave her behind. It's uh, run by Connie Nielsen, who's having fun playing the big bad. But at the beginning of the film, it seems that the spark has gone out in in Emma and Dave's marriage. And so they decide to role play. That's where the title of the movie comes in because uh, they decide to become uh, to dress up like strangers and meet at a hotel bar and pretend like they don't know each other and get a room for the night. You know how married couples will do that sometimes. And so they do that. That's where Bill Nye comes in because he recognizes her as being an assassin and there's a bounty on her head. So he wants to kill her. It's a great scene because he is doing a lot of wordplay and letting her know that he knows who she is really without letting uh, David know. And so it, uh, it it's a really great scene. And Bill Nye, he is such an accomplished actor. He's definitely having fun with this. Unfortunately, they dispose of his character early on. When David Oyelio finds out that Kelly Cuoco is a hired gun, it's a devastating moment. It's kind of like finding out your spouse is a murderer. Well, it is like finding out your spouse is a murderer. The cops uh, pick him up and say, listen, your wife isn't who you think she is. Her name isn't even Emma. Emma is somebody that she killed, and she's an assassin. She murders all these people. And he calls her, and he's like, how can you, you lied to me? You lied to the kids. Who are you? It's devastating. And then the movie tries to play this seriously. And I was shocked by that because we've had movies with a similar premise. It's a very out there, high concept, you know, hired gun. Movies like True Lies or even Ghosted from last year with Chris Evans and Ana de Armas, which is a film I really enjoyed because it was light and airy and fun. And honestly, 
Arnold Schwarzenegger as an international assassin, pretty believable. Anand Armas as an international assassin, also believable. Kelly Cuoco, not so much. She cannot pull off any of the action scenes. I never believed I wasn't just watching somebody from a sitcom and, and then it would cut to a stunt double. Uh, it, uh, none of the action scenes work for me. And the movie stays in this serious vibe, trying to be like a wannabe John Wick film for like the last 40 minutes. And it does not work. And I don't think this couple would have stayed together. And he's kind of okay with her being a murderess. It's weird. And it's not fun. And it doesn't work as a serious John Wick movie, and it doesn't work as a fun comedy. The movie just doesn't work at all, outside of Bill Nighy's couple scenes. So if you have Amazon Prime, you might want to hit play on this, but don't expect anything fun, like a movie like, uh, you know, Ghosted, which I do recommend. That's over on Apple TV+, Plus, or True Lies, you know, a great James Cameron uh, classic. Watch either of those films and stay away from a film called Role Play. What are you thinking? See a show? No, we're not going to see a show, Dave. We're going to a hotel. We're going to a hotel? A fancy hotel. We're going to meet by chance in the hotel bar. I won't be me. You won't be you. Just two strangers meeting in a bar. Just two strangers meeting in a bar. My name is Max Foisy, the show. Is Max on Movies? We we, we discussed that, didn't we? KTRS.com slash Max on Movies to hear more. Thanks for tuning in to Max on Movies. I am your host, Max Foise, here to talk about a movie called American Fiction. This film is the feature film writing and directing debut of Cord Jefferson, who does a fantastic job. I'm excited to see what he does next. It is based on a book called Erasure by Percival Everett. And uh, boy, what a great premise for a movie. We'll get to that in a minute. But let's talk about this incredible cast. We've got Sterling K. Brown, who, of course, is from St. Louis, Issa Rae, Tracy Ellis Ross, John Ortiz, Erica Alexander, Leslie Uggams, Adam Brody, Keith David, who's been a guest here on Max on Movies. And it's all led by Jeffrey Wright in one of his best performances. And that's saying something because this guy has been on my radar ever since Basquiat. I love that movie and I love him as Jean-Michel Basquiat. And I actually had Jeffrey Wright on my show as well, I believe, to talk about one of the Hunger Games movies. And I was super intimidated to talk to him, but he could not have been nicer. You might know him now as the narrator of Marvel's animated What If TV series. He plays The Watcher in that series, which has a season two right now. American Fiction is a comedic film. It also has elements of drama, so I suppose that makes it a dramedy. And it concerns a guy who goes by the nickname of Monk because his name is Thelonious Ellison. And he has a, a really tight-knit family. His mother's getting older. His mother has some health issues. He is, well, he's a writer, and he really wants to be a well-respected writer. And he gets frustrated that a lot of the black writers are pigeonholed 
as being black writers. Well, you have to write about a certain thing or you have to write a certain kind of novel. And he just wants to be a great writer. So this really upsets him when he sees people uh, giving accolades to what he thinks are just ridiculous race baiting books. There's actually this author named Sinatra Golden who has a bestseller novel, and the title of the novel in the movie is We Lives in the Ghetto. And this made me laugh out loud because all of these white liberals are eating this book up and they're thinking, yes, this is what it's really like to be black in America. And Monk is thinking, this is ridiculous. I can't believe that this kind of stuff sells and my kind of stuff, my actual prose doesn't sell. So one night he gets really frustrated and he says, you know what, I'm going to write a parody. I'm going to write a satire. And so he writes it under a pseudonym. Uh, Staggerly is his pseudonym, and he writes just a mashup of everything stereotypical about uh, about the black experience. Uh, he he t- first calls it my pathology, and uh, it talks about you know gang violence, drugs, deadbeat dads, all the stereotypes, and he gives it to his publisher. Well, guess what? They think it's fantastic. They think they can make a lot of money off this. They're going to publish it. He doesn't want to publish it. But then his mother's health issues get worse, and he realizes, wow, with this advance, I could actually help her out. So begrudgingly, he allows this black exploitation parody novel to be published as if he's a real ex-convict. Uh, he even retitles the uh, the novel something profane that I can't repeat here on the radio. But it inexplicably is published, and he becomes the toast of the town. Now, of course, like all of the great works of art about somebody who tries to further themselves through deceit, uh, no matter what his intentions were, he starts to become ensnared in his own web of lies, and it threatens to expose what's really happening. And this does bring us to the ending of the movie, which I think is probably the weakest part, because they I don't think they really understand how to end it. They actually give you almost a clue type of variation, you know, the, the movie Clue, which had all the different endings, because they play out a couple of different ways this movie could have ended. But American Fiction is such a fun and funny movie with tons of insight into uh, both conservative and liberal viewpoints about society and the black experience. It's such a great ride the whole time that it doesn't really matter that the ending is a little bit of an anticlimax. It did make me want to read the book Erasure by Percival Everett because apparently the fake book that that Thelonious writes is actually in that book as well, which is really cool. And But again, Cord Jefferson adapted this and directed it, did a phenomenal job with a phenomenal cast. And I know that what I'm saying, you know, the, the, the premise of the film seems a little heavy, but this is a comedy. This is a very funny movie, and Jeffrey Wright is wonderful in it. It narrowly missed being on my best films of 2023 list. It was definitely an honorable mention. I really love this film. It's called American Fiction. Excuse me, uh, Ned. Do you have any books by the writer Thelonious Ellison? Yeah, uh, this way. Here you go. Right. Yeah. Wait a minute. Why, why are these books here? I'm not sure. I would imagine that this author, Ellison, is black. That's me, Ellison. Yeah. He is me, 
And he and I are black. Oh, bingo. No, no bingo, Ned. These books have nothing to do with African-American studies. They're just literature. The, the blackest thing about this one is the ink. I don't decide what sections the books go in, and no one here does. That's how chain stores work. Right. And you don't make the rules. I'm just going to put them back after you leave. Don't you dare, Ned. Do not you dare. Go to KTRS.com slash Max on Movies to hear more. 